how can we stay relevant? How do we keep the brand in front of people before they're ready to buy? Like no one wakes up in the middle of the night and says, oh, I got to go get LASIK eye surgery tomorrow, yeah. right? If your car breaks down, you have to get it fixed tomorrow. But if you're considering eye surgery, it may take a while to come to that decision. It's costly. It is risky. You're going to do your homework and your research. Same thing with like a divorce attorney. Divorce isn't overnight. That's a buildup of events. And there are questions on either side. What we do is get in front of those questions that someone might be thinking about. And we show our customer up there. And we do that either with Google search or content with ads and uh, bring them into the customer's world. And so ultimately, the customer only wants leads that want to buy. Welcome to the Land Life Podcast with your host, PJ Riley. What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Land Life Podcast. My name is PJ Riley. Guys, if you're getting value from this podcast, do me a solid. I want you to like, subscribe, do all those kinds of things too. But um, do me a really big favor. Write a review. So if you're listening to this right now, hit pause and just write a two-sentence review. Really like the podcast. A guest today, Daryl Evans, was awesome. Something like that, okay? Nothing crazy. You don't have to write a big narrative. Just write something really fast. I would really appreciate that. One thing I want to do before I get started too is thank Somebody that's kind of helped me out a little bit lately. I needed a little bit of extra funding. So I contacted these guys, Fund and Grow, and they hooked me up and helped me out get a bunch of 0% interest credit cards. I'm not getting paid for that. I have no affiliation with them. They really helped me out. Uh, Chris Borman was a guy's name. He helped me out. He was you know, a ton of help because I am brain dead when it comes to doing all those things, finding credit cards and finding out, working with different companies and stuff. So I want to thank those guys. Yeah. Otherwise, guys, today's guest... Daryl Evans. Now, real quick, I want to read this rundown here because Daryl's got a bunch of cool stuff going on. Serial entrepreneur, investor, co-founder of the Yokel Local Digital Marketing. Is that correct? You got it. I got that right. Okay, perfect. He's also uh, the host of the MindShift podcast, founder of the MindShift Business Accelerator and the MindShift, you have like a, um, a conference, is that right? Uh, Academy and yeah, Academy. We're, we're working towards the conference. Yep. Okay. Right on. <laughs> right on, dude. You got all kinds of stuff going. I like the name too, Mind Shift. That's yeah. uh yeah. That's pretty cool. That's uh, like we were just talking about before we got started. Yeah. Me and Daryl had a 20, 30 minute podcast before this thing even shot off. So um, before we even hit record, we had uh we had a podcast in itself, but super cool guy. And I'm really excited to to get to talking to you a little bit more. Now, Daryl, real quick, let's let's catch us up to where we're at now in the business side of, the, of, of things. Where were you before? What did you do to get to this point we're at right now? Wow. Uh, PJ, first of all, thank you for uh, having me on the show. We just had, we should have turned on record. Uh, we just had a really uh, vibrant, energetic conversation. And I, first of all, enjoy your energy. It's always like energy, like energy, pulls like energy together. Absolutely. Uh, they say opposites attract, but I think like, like equals like, and uh, I yeah. think we're about to fire things up. Um, my it. backstory, uh, to keep it super short, I started my entrepreneurial journey when I was in college, when I was roughly 20 years old, uh, worked my way through college, started um, a little trunk uh, out of the trunk of my car, commerce business. I'm, a, I'm an athlete. I was, I've been an athlete forever and still call myself an athlete at 52 because I, I, uh, it just doesn't leave my DNA. So I started a business then selling some sportswear, hats, things like that, uh, migrated into the real estate industry around uh, when I was 22. I uh, did well there, graduated from college, fast forward into 2000, uh, jumped into the uh, lending industry. So I was still tied to real estate and financial services and um, really had a, a, that was my first sort of draw the line in the sand where I wouldn't look back at a salary ever again. Um, and so that was around 2000 and uh, fast forward to 2010, had a, a rich 
uh, run in that world, um, both as a producer, as well as owning a, a co-owning a mortgage company, 2008, 2009, everybody knows what happened. I was able to step back and say, okay, what do we want to do now? And I started digital marketing for the mortgage business in 2003. So I was an early adopter to online customer acquisition, lead generation, uh, those kinds of things. And it, it was stem, it stemmed out of my desire to solve a pain that I had. And that was with the high volume mortgage business, we were saying a lot of the same things to 50 customers a, uh, a month who wanted new mortgage applications to be done for their properties. And I realized I'm saying the same thing in all these meetings. <laughs> so I was like, there's got to be a better way. And that led me to email marketing. So I bought an email marketing tool and figured out that, oh, they're going to ask me 36 questions. Every single customer, they have these same 36 questions. The answer is relatively the same, just applied to them. Yeah. Started my first email marketing campaign. And I actually built out a 52-week email sequence. And it wasn't to sell them a mortgage because they'd already inquired. It was to make sure that I was top of mind when they were ready. You mentioned before we started talking that your family was in the military, you moved around a lot. That was actually one of my niches back then. So what happens is if someone was going to move to Las Vegas, which is where I was based, they might get the orders 10 months in advance and they might want to buy using their VA or whatever. Well, I knew I was going to be in competition when that time period came. So I said, what if, what if I could build trust before they get here, you know, and start looking at the eight month mark so they could be landed in the 10 month mark. And that became the sort of basis for my marketing journey, build trust in advance, build a relationship in advance so that ultimately I wouldn't say price doesn't matter, but people want to buy from people they like, know, and trust. We've all heard it. Fast forward to 2006, seven and eight, I'm all over social media. I built my first YouTube channel in 2007, jumped on social. And then I was like, oh, this is the new thing because smartphones had just come out and I was like, this is going to be the new consumer trend. So in 2010, pivoted and started coaching and uh, consulting with entrepreneurs about growing their business online because I was like, you, I've been doing it for five or six years. No one's doing this. So we launched an agency called Yoko Local with my former business partner, who's one of the co-founders. And uh, we've been helping now uh, small, mid-sized companies. We've had some very large companies as well, but our, our sweet spot are small to mid-sized companies. And uh, we've helped them do you know very, 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 very well, including... Uh, some exits and things of that nature. And so that's what we do in our agency. And that's kind of what led me here. Started the podcast called the Mindshift Podcast about three, three and a half years ago to do a lot of what you do here, which is to document the journey of entrepreneurs, uh, share some inspiration and um, just kind of do, kind of give back in, in the volunteering of helping people avoid the pitfalls that that maybe we've made along the, along the journey. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the point of this podcast. So if you're listening to this and you're, you know, it's the new, it's the new, it's January, right? Everyone's got the, uh, you know, what the New Year's resolutions, right? They're going to start a business or something like that. Really pay attention to this podcast, write down notes. And at the end, uh, Daryl's going to leave you his contact information. Check that out so you can, if what he says resonates with you, you can keep that conversation going. So, all right, give me an example then. Because digital marketing, it, digital marketing is a, it's a big word, right? It means a lot of things. Yes. So for me, is digital marketing just posting on Facebook? Yeah. Is it? sending a picture yeah. on Instagram. So if I were to come to you, what does digital marketing look like for you and your company? Yeah, it's really easy, PJ. Customers only hire and retain us. If I think about a customer who's been with us now for 12 years, which we're in our 12th year, so you can do the math. If I think about another customer who's been with us for just under 12 years, who started with us just a few months after that first customer did, 
the only reason they pay us is for customer acquisition. They pay us to take all of the drama off of their plate because they hire us because they're good at law. They're good at medicine. They're good at LASIK eye surgery. They're good at dentistry. They're good at fixing cars at the automobile shop. They're good at their craft. See, they went to school or they became a professional or they built a software product because they have that unique gift. And then all of a sudden this digital thing slapped them in the eyes and they're overwhelmed because they say, you got to post on Facebook and Instagram and 18 tweets. Then you've got to do a live presentation on YouTube. And then you've got to chop it up in, the, in 32 pieces for all the TikToks and the YouTube shorts and the reels. And then you got to have an email campaign and, oh, you got to have a lead generator and a landing page. And then you got to do webinars. It means all of that, right? But at the end of the day, we have a six-step framework that we use to overlay the ideal customer journey of that client to digital marketing. Here's what I mean. I have a framework that is called the lean marketing plan. And what that means is it doesn't matter where the customer comes from. When we start what we call our first 90 day sprint, we are identifying one ideal customer that they would like to sell to or attract to their business. We identify one place where we can find them meaning where are they most likely to be when they're looking to buy, right? In a lot of places, uh, PJ, that's Google, right? If someone's thinking about getting uh, LASIK eye surgery, they're not going to be on Facebook asking their friends, hey, how's yeah. that LASIK surgery go? They might, but they're going to be looking to get information. Is it safe? How much does it cost? What's the risk to me losing my eyesight? They're, that's what they're looking for. Um, and so we look for one buyer persona. We look for one place we can find them. We look at what's the best way to get in front of them and get them to raise their hand. We call it driving traffic to the website. And then how do we get them to raise their hand if they're not ready to buy today? You and I talked about that uh, briefly a few moments ago. In the mortgage days, in the real estate days, in the financial service days, it was never urgent to get the mortgage. It wasn't right. urgent to buy the house. Sure, you could argue, well, rates dropped. And so there's some uh, urgency, but it was never, it had to be done today. So I've been fortunate to grow up in businesses and work with companies where the sales cycle needs to be thought through, not from like an e-commerce platform, but how do we actually nurture leads? And so we get the lead, we then nurture them through to one conversion process. And then of course, we only present them one offer. Now that simply means we start there, we get narrowly focused, and we're either optimizing something that's already uh, they're already doing that's not working well, or we're building from scratch uh, this new process where we overlay sort of this simple recipe we call the lean marketing plan. For the vast majority of our clients who are professional service providers, which is probably 80% of our mix, it's going to be a Google uh, strategy, Google ads, an SEO strategy, and then we're going to tie content in to all of the social media platforms because how can we stay relevant? How do we keep the brand in front of people before they're ready to buy? Like no one wakes up in the middle of the night and says, oh, I got to go get ice, lace a guy surgery tomorrow, yeah. right? If your car breaks down, you have to get it fixed tomorrow. But if you need, if you're considering eye surgery, it may take a while to come to that decision. It's, it's costly. It is risky. You're going to do your homework and your research. Same thing with like a divorce attorney. If a husband, wife, or, or married partners decide they might be splitting, divorce isn't overnight. That's a buildup of events, and there are questions on either side. What we do is get in front of those questions that someone might be thinking about, and we show our customer up there, and we do that either with Google search or content with ads, and uh, 
bring them into the customer's world. And so ultimately the customer only wants leads that want to buy. So a couple of things you've said, I mean, and this is sort of off topic. Um, you personally have, you started so uh, digital marketing early before anybody else did it. And you took your time and you worked on it and you built it. You do that with each individual customer though, too, right? You, you don't just jump in and like throw out 50 Facebook posts and say, no, uh, here's what, here's what we're doing. We're selling LASIK. You come over here and get your eyes fixed. You know, um, yeah, right. you're slowly methodically building something, right? Yeah. I think that's obviously in, in your business, it's really important, but it's important in anything, you know, yeah. slowly methodically building something like that. That's, yeah. that's how real customers are retained. That's how real businesses are built. It's not like an overnight, um, you know, like I said, throw a bunch of Facebook and TikTok videos out there. So real quick, what are, prior to coming to you, what do you see people doing incorrectly? Like before they had come to you, what are they doing that's just wrong? Great, great question, PJ. They're usually doing three or four things wrong, but I'll, I'll summarize them really quickly. <laughs> Number one, they're, they've sold themselves on the idea that it's easier than it is. See, somebody sold them on a webinar that they're just one funnel away. Someone sold them that if they buy this piece of software, someone sold them that all they have to do is open up a Facebook account and push the little blue button and run ads in the local market. So the problem is it's a little bit more engineering-like than most people want to admit. And by the way, I had a... Uh, <laughs> I had a rocket scientist on my podcast who wow. has a degree in that world of engineering and is in that world of coding and engineering and software development. And I asked him because I've been saying this, but it gets kind of, um, it kind of gets set, uh, set to the side. I said, for whatever reason, digital marketing feels a lot like an engineering practice than it is just a creative practice today. And he agreed. This is a rocket. This is a, a you know, rocket scientist who validated it. So, so step number one, PJ, is they, they think it's easier than it is because they're inundated with email. They're inundated with webinars. They're inundated with industry publications and blogs and YouTube. And today, I like to say YouTube University has people misguided because they go to YouTube and they can Google anything yes. and they land on a blog or a, or, or a video and the person on the video is sharing just enough to hook you in to watch the next video because their actual monetization model is getting paid on Google ads. It's not getting paid to serve your end result. So problem number one is thinking it's easier than it is. Problem number two is tactics before strategy. We have a, we have a phrase that we believe in. It came from the book, The Art of War. I didn't make it up. It's from Sun Tzu. And that is tactics before strategy is the noise before defeat. See, everyone Wait, has access to- say that one more time. All. Yeah. Tactics before strategy is the noise before defeat. That's interesting. What, what do I mean? How do we, how do we apply it? It, it? Before we, before the pandemic, it was posted on our wall. It was, it was painted into our wall in our agency because what it means is it's free to operate on every platform that we get client results on. Everybody can set up a free Facebook account, free Instagram account, free Twitter account, open up a free Google account, open up an ad account. It's free. So why do they pay us as much money as they do? Well, because just because it's free, doesn't mean you can actually get the result, right? And it's not about posting 50 times on Facebook. It's not about how many followers you have on your Facebook or Instagram page. That's not marketing. Those are vanity metrics. So to your point, we're very methodical about the strategy with which we, uh, and by the way, the strategy doesn't change when a customer comes through the door. 
It's like a recipe to a good chocolate cake. The, the, the recipe doesn't change. Now you can make a Duncan Hines cake, which just says add water, put it in the oven. And it might be more than that. I'm sorry. Or you can go get a world-class chocolate cake. And there obviously are some differences. Well, the world-class chocolate cake will pay $12 a slice for at the premium restaurant, but you can get a cup, you can get a cake out of a box and have it done in 45 minutes. What's the difference? It's a strategy of how you make that elevate that cake. So we're a strategic company first. Um, the other big thing is they off, they, they, they outsource what they don't understand. Yes. I mean, let me, <laughs> they outsource what they don't understand. And here's what it is. We're both business owners. We work with a lot of, it's natural for us as business owners, because we're taught to find the people who are good at what they do and then pay them to do it. So we can stay doing what we do, which, which I call our superstar DNA. The problem is they outsource what they don't understand. And because they don't understand it, they can't govern whether it's getting done right or wrong. Then they spend thousands upon thousands of dollars for six months, 12 months, two years. One company I spoke to five years, they were working with this other marketing agency. And I had to say at some point, I had to be very nice about it, but I'm like, at some point, you've got to stop blaming them and start blaming you because you're the one who's kept paying them for five years. At some <laughs> point you had to question, <laughs> should it take this long? <laughs> so I'm a business coach too. So I, I, I get, I get right. in front of people's face. I get in people's grills. So I say, stop outsourcing what you don't understand. What do I mean? Go get the knowledge about how it actually really works. Then outsource it. I'm not saying go do it. I'm not saying buy the course so you can be the executor, but at least know when you're working with an agency like ours, like you can't work with an agency like, uh, like ours, unless there's what we call a captain of the ship on their side, there has to be a captain of the ship who's going to interface with us. Um, and so that's kind of the third thing. Um, the fourth thing is probably, um, just not investing what it really takes because today, look, I started in Google ads when Google clicks for five cents. And today, some of our customers, you know, they're paying $50 a click in depending on which niche you're in. And some people don't know how to make that math work. So the math is the math. Like if you're a personal injury attorney and your average case size is a hundred thousand dollars is $150 a click. Is it unreasonable? Maybe not. Mm -hmm. If you're a plumber, and the average market click is 10 bucks a click. I had a guy uh, on a call a few months ago and he says, Daryl, we need you, you, we need your help to lower the cost of customer acquisition from our Google ad campaign. I said, great. Tell me what, what it's costing you to get a customer. He goes, it's costing us about 82 bucks to get a customer. I said, what's your, uh, your, your at the conversion revenue dollar. Cause we always are driven by the math. That's the other thing. We're not a creative agency. We're, we're a math agency. Hate to say it, but it's boring. But he says that we're at $80. Boring will get you uh, rich. What's that? Yeah, Boring no. <laughs> will get you, will make you rich. I'm saying. So he's at $80 uh, cost of acquisition to make a $72 front end sale. It's a, it's a local business. Um, yeah, we won't get into the niche or anything like that. It's not relevant. But he's like, so I'm losing $8, $10 on every customer. And I said, okay. Do you have anything? What's the lifetime value of every customer you acquire? And he goes, well, after we figured out it was about 436 bucks between other things that he would have the customer. If he does the proper marketing and, and nurtures that relationship after that sale, I said, so really you're paying eight, you're losing $10 on the acquisition of the customer, but you're actually four X profitable, five X profitable. If you actually do the lifetime value equation, he was like, 
Okay. I didn't think about that. I said, but tell me what your goal is. He goes, well, I'm paying. I'd like to get the customer acquisition cost down to 10 bucks. Oh, so you want the acquisition of the customer to be seven X profitable. So we went into the Google ad campaign. What do you think his average cost per click was on his campaign? It was eight bucks. It was eight bucks cost per click. Okay. I said, so let me ask you a question. Uh, we won't call his name out. Let me ask you a question. I said, is it logical to think that everybody who clicks on the ad is going to convert, become a customer? Do you actually believe that? And he said, well, I guess when you put it that way. So where am I saying all this, PJ? It's unrealistic expectations on the math. But if you look at the math, he had a highly profitable business. You know where his problem was? It wasn't in cost of acquisition. It was in maximizing lifetime value. So we come into that scenario and we say, let's build your maximum lifetime value campaign. Yeah. Let's figure out how do we get them to buy more, more often and get that two, three, four, five X return. So he came to us to do Google ads. And I said to him, let me tell you what I told him, PJ. I said, your Google ads company is not the problem. Your, your ads agency, he was about to fire the agency and come to us. Now I'm an integrous guy. I would never let that happen. I'm not going to, I went into the campaign because we have a view only uh, audit where we don't touch the campaign. We just do a view only audit. And I said, Hey man, they're not doing a bad job. That's not the problem. The numbers are what the numbers are. If they were doing a bad job, I'd tell you, but I could find, I found a couple, three things we could optimize, but I'm not going to try to take business from an agency who's doing a good job because the client or the owner's perspective is skewed. So I educated him and said, stay there. But when you're ready to maximize lifetime value, we'll come in and handle that side of it. So for me, it's it's back to that idea of somewhat unrealistic expectation because they don't know what they don't know, which is okay. Yeah. But I guess the urgency for me is get educated so that you're not frustrated by things you don't understand when you actually shouldn't be frustrated, right? They think yeah. they're in cardiac arrest and their heart's beating fine. <laughs> <laughs> Going to WebMD. I'm dying. Yeah. Daryl, help me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it's, so it's, it's strategic and it gets tactical, but hopefully that example, uh, shed some light on it. Absolutely. So you're willing to help these guys eat. So you say, um, you know, I, I, I want people coming to me unless they're educated, right. Or unless they said somebody on their team that understands what's going on. And if they don't, you're willing to educate them. Yes. And not even take their business. Yep. Educate them, teach them what they, I guess you don't know what you don't know, like you said. So, um, teach them what they don't know. And then, you know, Hey, down the road, if this is something a fit for you, come on over. hundred percent. We do the audit. Now we do charge a light fee for the audit. Cause we got a lot of time in, invested, but our goal is not to, um, uh, our goal is to make sure they understand like the last thing I want someone to do. And I also don't want them to go down the street. Cause a lot of times companies are not ready for our, uh, price point, right? Cause you gotta yeah. be it'll, down the line. We're not, we're not going to be the best startup friendly. We're not a startup friendly company unless you're capital funded. So we're not going to be the right fit for everyone, but we also don't want them to run down the street because they couldn't afford our, by the way, our retainer is profitable. Otherwise companies wouldn't stay. Right. So when it's set, when we say we, you know, our average customer retainer is somewhere between 3,500 a month and 7,500 a month. If, if I put that range on it, well, a company wouldn't stay for 11 years if it wasn't profitable. Yeah. Right. But they don't understand that when they're shopping around because they don't sure. know what they don't know. But the bottom line is if if they're not a good fit for us or if they think that they can't afford us, the problem is I don't want them going down the street getting burned. Because what happens is they come to us. This has happened for 12 years. They'll come to us. 
our price point, they can't resonate because they don't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. They then go down the street and pay 2000 a month less because the budget said that's made sense. Then they spend 12 months, 18 months doing that thing only to realize they are 36 K in the hole with no result yeah. when they could have afforded us in the first play to get the right result in three months. Yeah. So I just want them to be educated and I just don't want people to feel like, Oh, we made a mistake. We can't come back. We just had a customer do this. Um, they came to us. They didn't think the results were what they wanted. They didn't think we were doing a great enough job. Uh, they left us, left us after six months, things crashed. Fortunately, they weren't so caught up on themselves that they wouldn't come back. They came back. Nice. And that's okay too. Yeah. You know, sometimes so, they don't know what they don't know. So how are you good. advertising yourself? Like, cause uh, uh, let's say I'm looking for a digital marketing company right now myself. Uh, let's say the average person is looking for a digital marketing company. I'm going to go and try to find somebody on YouTube maybe, or Google yep. that I recognize maybe a name yep. I've seen somebody that my buddies have recommended me. Um, or I'm going to find the cheapest guy. I'm going to go based on price. How do you stick out? Yeah. So uh, obviously there's no shortage of ways to market uh, uh, any business for that matter, but we got very uh, serious about content creation. Uh, so for example, let's say going back to the don't know what they don't know, if they've never hired an agency for, it may be logical for them to say, what does a digital marketing agency do? So if your audience Googles that, you're going to find us. Now, it doesn't mean they want to hire an agency. It means someone's on the path of discovery, right? Maybe they've considered what does an agency do? Does it make sense, et cetera? So we've got a very rich blog post. It shows up on Google. It's one of our top uh, traffic blog posts on our website. We also address, and this is a strategy we do with our clients. We address something called the problems that precede the purchase. I call it the P3 formula. Problem that precedes the purchase. What does that mean? Let's think about all of the things that a potential customer, not just of ours, but of our clients, what could they ask themselves if they were awake at 11 o'clock at night and they'd like to be asleep about the way to solve the problem of which, of which we can solve? So for us, we know that marketers hire us, CMOs, marketing directors, you know, people that are heads of marketing for either a small to mid-sized firm. And we also get hired by the entrepreneur, business owner, CEO, founder. So those are the two buyers that hire us. Well, they think differently. The marketer is more tactically inclined. So we speak in our content a certain way to that buyer. And we're trying to help them do things like, like one of our posts that ranks pretty decent. It has to do with optimizing a landing page to get more conversions. Well, that's going to be relevant to a marketer. But a business owner probably would never be Googling that because at 11 o'clock, the last thing they're thinking about is how to optimize their landing page, right? <laughs> what they're thinking about is how to get more of my website visitors to convert into leads. Yeah. So we would go that direction for that buyer. So we're a content marketing engine. Everything starts with content. You can't run a Facebook ad or a Google ad or an email campaign without content. So our strategy is we extract the ideas, the expertise, the processes from our clients through a video interview, then our content team extrapolates that through research, keyword research, and all the things you've probably heard of. Then we do SEO, all the things. Um, and for us, we have found for us that video training seminars, as you probably have, you probably have already figured out, we do a lot of coaching and training, uh, whether it's small workshops, whether it's webinars, if you're on our email list, we expect to make you a better marketer just by being on our email list. Nice. Like that's a rule of thumb. You will become a better marketer 
you will get better marketing results just by getting our weekly email. And that was a commitment we made. Uh, we do sell, don't get me wrong. We are going to make you offers if you're on our email list, but we're going to make you a better marketer because we're not going to sugarcoat what it takes and say, oh, we've got the secret sauce and we're only going to share the secret sauce if you pay us. That's not how we operate. Um, we're right now, we're pivoting. Uh, we are doing a lot of, um, uh, so obviously one of the big ways is because we drive a lot of traffic from our content, well, now we get to use the platforms like Google, like Facebook, like LinkedIn to retarget or remarket to those people to further educate them. And so one of the things that we do pretty well, not just for us, but for our clients, is once we get someone to the website, we will then continue to, to um, advertise to them, not just an offer to purchase, but just educating. So we have a 10-step education video sequence that we run, whereby we take um, content that we've created, video interviews from our clients, and we drop them into a campaign. Facebook and Instagram work better. Uh, LinkedIn, you can do it. It's a little bit more uh, for B2B. And um, we could also do it on, on YouTube, but we prefer Facebook and Instagram because that's where the largest number of users are. And we just educate and we stay top of mind, but we try to be helpful and not be pitchy, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's the intention? The intention is to stay top of mind the way I used to do it back in 2003, just with email. But today we've, mi we've migrated to where the average person spends somewhere around an hour on Facebook. Maybe that's not you. Maybe that's not me. Certainly not me. Um, but people are using social media just like TV, you know, radio. That, that's how they consume content. So we want to be where people consume. Okay. So that's that's really interesting. So you're teaching people. You're kind of coaching them as to what digital marketing is during these emails, videos, posts, things like that. So that when they come to you, they do have that base level of knowledge and understanding. So you don't have to start at square one. Is that, does that make sense? That's the goal. Okay. <laughs> That's the goal. We have a philosophy that says we would like them to believe what we believe or they shouldn't become a customer. It doesn't mean <laughs> okay. they have to know what we do exactly, but they need to believe what we believe. If we say that you need to do this 10 part uh, video remarketing sequence, they need to believe that video matters and video helps build trust. We can't convince them in a sales call of that. If they've never turned on a camera before, which petrifies most people, they'd rather jump out of an airplane without a parachute than sit in front of an inanimate camera and shoot content. So we help them through the process. We've got a product to do that. But if they don't believe that that works, then we don't want to try to convince them at the point of sale. Like we want them to say, I already, here's a perfect example. There's a gentleman uh, he's opening a farmer's agency, I believe. And he opted in on our website. I can't remember where, what he saw that brought him to our website. And just through our email follow-up sequences and just through how we touch, we call them touch points, mm -hmm. just because of our initial touch point nurturing sequence, he booked a meeting and here's what he said. He goes, listen, I'm about eight months from opening a farmer's office. I'm not even close to needing you right now. But what I was hoping to have in my marketing I watched you deliver to me and it makes it be that I, would, I wouldn't even shop around because what I had in my mind, you guys did it to me and it's exactly how I want to run my marketing campaigns. Now, will he sign up with us? I don't know, but I know it won't be a difficult conversation when he opens the office. And when he opens the office, of course, he act, he's actually emailed us twice. He's come to several of our webinars mm. or, or, or classes. Um, and he hasn't and, even done anything yet. Hasn't even started the company yet. And he's already coming. Nope. Here. No, he, because he got educated. He had an, he had in mind 
something he, I guess he wanted to do in his marketing. He watched us deliver it to him from our perspective in our marketing. And that alignment was there. And so he feels like he can trust us. Okay. So I want to ask you about something. Yeah. I want to ask you about something here then as, as well. Um, personal branding is a very big thing these days, right? Everybody wants to brand themselves. You yeah. know, I, and, and it's not only like, uh, like, let's say, just say for me, for example, I sell dirt and trees pretty much not super exciting. So, uh, you know, in, in that situation, I would brand myself as a person who does podcasts, who speaks and does things like mm -hmm. that. Right. So is it the same strategy involved for a personal brand as for your company's brand, I guess? 100%. Um, okay. Unless you're Coca-Cola, Starbucks, or if you are a brand that's further down the line and there isn't really a face of the company, mm -hmm. I believe that the vast majority of our 80% of our business, the, there's a 20% where it's software and, and they're a little bit up, up the stream a little bit, but 80% of our clients, I call them personal service businesses that provide professional services. I call them, I'm sorry, I call them personal service brands that provide a professional service. Because at the end of the day, they almost, if you go to a law firm and you're not going to a law firm that has eight partners listed in the name, you're going to have a relationship with the lawyer or the attorney yeah. that you are meeting with. The vast majority of our clients meet one-on-one. -on -one. Our CPA meets one-on-one. -on -one. The LASIK eye surgery, he, the doctor is doing the surgery. It's not that the doctor's name is on the building and he's got 13 surgeons. But personal branding is the business because I think, okay. look, my company is called Yokel Local. Nobody wants to see our Yokel Local logo in the social media newsfeed on Instagram. They don't care. Yeah. They don't care. We're not Starbucks. We're not Amex. We're not Forbes. We're not Inc. Magazine. We're none of those companies. So all smaller businesses should have a face on the company. And I haven't always believed in that. I didn't always get that, that thinking right. Um, I was very happy when I got out of my prior career, which was the mortgage industry, and I was the face. I was happy to fall into the shadows strategically, <laughs> and I did that for a while. Yeah. And I don't know that it served our agency the best uh, for the first seven, eight years. I don't think that was maybe the best play, but in hindsight, you know, 2020, <laughs> right? In hindsight. And yeah, so yeah. we began to change the model around 2017 for our, even our own business. My business partner, who's now my former partner, he wrote a book, he went on the speaking circuit. And then as you and I talked offline, I started doing a little bit more of the personal branding thing, uh, you know, about you know, one and a half to two years ago. So, but I think it is important and it's cheaper to advertise a personal brand than a corporate brand on, especially on social media. Why is that? Because of engagement. There's one rule of all things social media that if your audience is listening, costs on social media ads are all driven by engagement. Hmm. What do I mean? If your advertising doesn't feel like advertising and draws engagement, Facebook wants to show it to more people. I'm just going to pick on Facebook for now or, or Facebook and Instagram. Everybody knows they're the same. They're now meta. Engagement is what drives down your cost. If you, if a brand logo puts an ad into the newsfeed that says, I see them all the time because I'm a student of ads. Mm. Um, HVAC company, let's call it ABC air conditioning, right? They put an ad out that says right now it's winter time. Denver, you're a little colder than we are, but yeah. it's that time of the year where no one's thinking about their electric bill because the summer is not here. 
But HVAC companies, they usually run ads to come out and do an HVAC checkup. We've had plenty of HVAC clients. So they put these ads out there that say, you know, get your $75 HVAC checkup. Well, guess what? What's the chance that you're going to get people clicking on that ad to go buy the checkup for 75 bucks? So there's low engagement on the ad. So they have to pay to get the ad imp uh, impressions, but then they get no engagement. A better way is to run an ad that has to do with teaching them why a checkup during the winter is better than waiting until the unit blows up in the summer, Yeah, doing a video or even just a regular static post and then educating. Here's what happens when you say during the winter is a great time to do an HVAC checkup. Many of our customers didn't do one and found that their bill skyrocketed when their machine blew up in the summer, costing them $13,000 to replace their unit. Rather than do that, did you know that there are five things that you can do during the winter to make sure your unit's running more efficiently? Number one, you check this to the blah, 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 blah. If you're interested in an HVAC checkup, see, because now you educated them. Yeah. So you're going to get some likes, you're going to get some comments, you're going to get some shares. Ultimately, it's going to drive down the cost of that ad being in the newsfeed because Facebook only has so much room to show ads. So they can't show ads that don't get engagement. Hmm. That's the hack. All right. So we I run like ads it. that get engagement, the, the more engagement we get, and then we can retarget against that engagement, right? So I remember giving that strategy to, so <laughs> funny, we're talking about HVAC. I remember <laughs> a, a, actually a friend of my brother who, who lives in your area, um, had a good friend who bought, he was an investor. He bought an HVAC company. And I remember he got with me and, and we were having this conversation. He's like, Daryl, the HVAC business, um, if for those that don't know, in most markets, it's like a feast and famine business. It's a huge seasonality business. They make all mm -hmm. their money between, at least in Vegas, March and September. And then from October to March, they've got to store up those, those chips, right? They got to store up yeah. the nuts. So he was like, Daryl, what can we do to get in front of people so that we're more, they already know who we are before the problem happens beautiful. So we do, we, we do a lot of work with brand awareness and I gave him the strategy. And I said, what he was doing was he was knocking on doors. He sends his guys out who don't have any air conditioners to work on to do door at that time. This is about five years ago, door flyers, just going into the neighborhoods, dropping door flyers. Mm -hmm. And I believe his name was Chris. I said, Chris, it's not that the door flyer is not a good idea, but the door flyer says basically something to the effect of, call for your $65 HVAC checkup. And I said, what if you just change the call to action to say, download our free report on the five things you can do during the winter to make sure your, your mm -hmm. unit is performing during the summer, visit whatever.com. And instead of them calling, you now get a lead who was interested in wanting to know if their if their machine's running right. He did that. He yeah. never hired us. <laughs> I talked myself out of a deal <laughs> Good job. because he's a he was a smart dude. I gave yeah. him the strategy. He executed, said they had one of their best summers ever the next year. Yeah. So I want to ask a couple more so, things real quick. The, um, uh, the fact that you had a, you had them on the flyer, put a, uh, an online link, right. Versus a phone number. Have you seen a shift in people not wanting to make the call and be more willing to jump online or, I mean, is that still all day? Okay. All day, PJ. Oh my geez. People don't look, 
I don't know about you. My phone's on vibrate all day. Cause I'm in meetings all day. Yeah. And we all have these blockers because we get spam phone calls. Nobody wants to pick up the phone when a strange number shows up and nobody wants to make a phone call. Let's talk from the consumer's perspective. If I open my door and I've got a flyer and it says, get your AC checkup call, even if the price is reasonable, affordable, 50 bucks, 60 bucks, 80 bucks, I forget what they charge now. Call 555-1212. I'm only going to pick it up the phone if I believe that my machine is broken. Yeah. So you're, you're hoping by mass distribution, this is old school advertising and it's, it's old school radio, TV, billboard, radio. You're hoping for just a fraction of those people to have the problem. Our model says it's okay that a small fraction may have the problem, but you're not going to be as effective. The goal is everyone knows that their bill is going to skyrocket when the, when the summer hits in Vegas and it hits 110, 115. That's not new news. Yeah. But what you're trying to do is say that you're the trusted resource to make sure the machine doesn't break eight months from now, five months from now. That's a different invitation. And it doesn't make sense to call 555-1212 to get the report. That's what actually we used to do in the 90s yeah. um, because before the internet. So yeah, absolutely. What, what we try to do in marketing and what a lot of us as consumers want is we don't want friction in the way of our information gathering, Right. I don't want to have to talk to yes. someone to get an answer to a question. That's why Google is so popular, right? That's why Google blew up. Yeah. Google figured out how to organize the world's information so that we don't need to talk to a salesperson. We don't need to, we don't even want to, yeah. right? And the Not only time all. we really want to is because we've already made our decision and we're ready to engage in the purchase or at least a decision that says, I'm going to go with you, you, or you. Mm -hmm. So actually marketers and marketing should be meeting people earlier in the buyer's journey, which is what we specialize in. How do we map out the buyer's journey and, um, and make the invitation proper for the timing? Like I always say that the invitation in marketing for a customer or prospective customer to do something needs to be proper in its timing. Yeah. So they're, inv they're inviting people who own a home to get their AC checked. They're inviting them during the winter, which is not, you wouldn't say that that's bad timing, but you also don't know who even has the problem. And so what we try to do is map this journey to the typical problems that someone might have and then get them to show up. Um, yeah. You get far more leads in your pipeline, you get them in your CRM. And now what you do is you have your sales team or whoever's doing your, your outreach because by the way, all of this that we're talking about isn't just inbound strategy. It's inbound and outbound strategy. We only handle the inbound part, but we coach on the outbound stuff. And then what we tell that company to do is when it, when it comes to February and March, the minute the temperatures tip over to 75, you have a sales process where you get on the phone and you start reminding people mm -hmm. about the flyer that you dropped, <laughs> right? Or you go through the email list of the ones that opted in for the free report. And yeah. now you're getting ahead of the season by saying, Hey, we just want to let you know we're available in case something happens to your unit. If you want to get that checkup, here's a special offer, blah, blah, blah. So now it's a different invitation because you already showed up in advance and that's how you steamroll growth. Let me, yeah. if I can, PJ, let me share one case study. If I can, yeah. this is one that people ask me about. They see it on our website. We took a auto body shop from 4 million to 22 million. They got bought by the number one competitor in their industry over seven years. That wasn't overnight. This is an overnight stuff. 
And we didn't do anything super special other than to recognize the real emotion of an individual, a mom, a dad, who had an immediate accident that they didn't plan on. And now they've got a disabled vehicle and they've still got to get their son or daughter to, to the soccer game, to the piano lesson. They've got to get to work tomorrow. They've actually been late three times. And if they're late one more time, they're going to get fired. There's an emotional psychology of every human who didn't expect to have an emergency like that happen. What we did was we got with our client and said, whoever gets the car to the shop is going to win the deal. We, we knew that the insurance company is going to have their own people try to contact that, that customer first because they got the insurance there. Or I, our guy gets business from insurance, sure. But we wanted to get the customer to bring it in direct. Well, what we know was that the person is not going to take the car to three different shops to get a quote. They're not going to tow the car around town to get yeah. three quotes. That's not how it works. What we said was, Mike, can you provide a quote range if we could get pictures of the car sent to you? We all got these devices. So we created, a, a, it was at that time, it was not really an app, but it was basically a web form that operated a little bit like an app. And we were, of course, ranked on the first page of Google. We were running the ads, all the stuff. So we showed up first. But instead of saying, bring the car to the shop, because if they called his office, what were they going to tell him? Bring the car to the shop. <laughs> <laughs> so we we're like, could we get him a quote without bringing the car to the shop? Yeah. Mike said, sure. We've been doing this a long time. We know ex if you can show us these angles of the damage, we're willing to guarantee that the quote will be within this range. It was like a $2,000 range. Wow. So it wasn't like a narrow range where he was going to get jammed up. And if he's a pro, he knows his business. Mm -hmm. We orchestrated that process. And this is his words. He believes that 80% of his growth came from that one strategy. No kidding. Now, we still had to rank on the first page of Google. We still had to get the clicks. We still had to get the people in front of his business. But because we hacked the consumer's journey and took away a pain and a frustration, and then he also went the next level and built out an entire department just to handle these web leads. And that's where a lot of business owners make a mistake. Web wow. leads aren't going to stick around and wait for two days for you to get back to them because you're busy in the field. Yeah. Yeah, no wait seconds. The till... They're not waiting. They don't care about you. You were yeah. just blue dots. You were blue pixels and black pixels on a screen. They don't know who you are. They don't care. They've yeah. got a problem. They want it solved now o'clock. <laughs> and we helped him create a now o'clock process. And he murdered it. I mean, that's a bad word, but he... He crushed it, right? He, crushed he did it. really well. He did really, really well. And he, by the way, took two years off after he got bought out, came right back to us when he opened his next shop in another market. Started over again. That's awesome. Started and all over did again. you guys incorporate the same strategy of the... Well, yeah, the strategy is essentially the same. Yeah. Um, he had to sell that part of the technology to them okay. because they took it over. So we still do it. It's not It's not copywritten or trademarked. Mm -hmm. Um and all of their industry is doing it now, but we were early. He was early. And that's what caught their attention. All right. So anyway. That's pretty cool. I got a big question though. I got a question Go for, for you that might kind of throw you a little bit. Um, okay. There's so much new technology right now, yep. especially recently coming out. Things like yep. chat GPT. Yep. Um, uh, all that open AI stuff, yep. right? How yep. is that going to play into your work that you're doing now, or is this yep. something you're going to have to fight against? Nah, for us. So just like anything else, let's go back to what I said about Google. Facebook's free. Instagram's free. Google's free. All the platforms are free. 
-hmm. but only the people that know how to use it, maximize it for its return on investment. Yeah. GPT chat is amazing. Our office is, uh, like we, we are looking at it. Uh, it's going to help us tremendously. Right. Okay. So it's going to help my agency in a, in a major way. Why? Well, unfortunately it's going to hurt some people that work for my agency as contractors because they're not going to be needed. Yeah. Here's what I mean. The ideation and research that it can pull back. By the way, anybody that just goes and chat GPT and tries to publish to the internet is going to probably find themselves in a world of trouble. So <laughs> experts who know what they're doing will yeah. get the most out of chat GPT. Rookies and novices who are just trying to game the system and try to make money fast are going to get floated out of the world just like anything else. Mm -hmm. It happened with Google Black Hat SEO. It'll happen with GPT chat, chat GPT. So the people who really know what they're doing will maximize chat GPT uh, for our agency. It's going to save us a tremendous amount of money. Yeah. Tremendous. I can't even begin <laughs> assuming, assuming they can stabilize it. Cause right now it's unstable because yeah. of the volume. Every other hour, I think it crashes. It's down every hour. So presuming, yeah. and by the way, I'm assuming, although I don't want to see it come, but it's just likely it'll only, it's only going to be free for a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. uh, they just got, they got to be able to, to keep up with the demand. Um, so it's going to make us way more efficient from an ideation stage. Like, listen, we're experts at what we do, but I mean, to ideate research around an industry that we've never worked with, which a lot of times happens, it can take hours, costs us a lot of money to do our research, to make sure we understand our strategy behind the client. Um, it's going to speed that up. Yeah. There are going to be companies that try to use it internally and think, oh, they don't need a marketing agency anymore. If they are actually marketers, that could be true. But here's the, here's the four problems we solve in our agency. We solve really four problems besides the tactics. Number one, they don't have a strategy. Number two, they don't have the time to execute the strategy. Because don't get me wrong, doing all the things we talked about takes a lot of time. Mm -hmm. uh, like an average sprint client for us is 25 hours a week of my team's mm -hmm. time, 25. Yeah. So if I got a team and I'm spending 25 and there's just one marketer sitting around or one business owner who's still running a business, where are they going to carve out an extra hundred hours? They're just not. Mm -hmm. So we collapse time. The third thing is skill. Again, Facebook's free. Facebook ads are free. Google ads is free until you want to put a credit card in. Writing SEO, doing SEO, all of that is free people don't have the skill. So, so we're going to have the edge and the skill. Yeah. And then the fourth thing is how do you put it all together to get the ROI, the return on investment? So those that are experts are going to do fine with GPT and, um, and it's going to be a great resource for those that figure out how to use it. The key with GPT chat from our perspective is the quality of your refinement of the prompts is where you're going to get your best result. And if you yeah. don't know what you're doing, you're not going to go seven layers deep. Um, and we are required in our agency right now. My team is required to, um, you know, put time in cause we have two hours set aside every week for training and development in our agency. Anyway, two hours per week is built in and we're going to figure it out and figure out where it fits into what we're doing. I got to tell you who's at risk for us is, is our third party, uh, contractors who help us in, um, content research. Yeah. And unfortunately, unfortunately, they're the most at risk. And I, I, I cannot, I won't just do it because chat GPT is, is unstable right now. But if content research is going to be that fast, 
they're going to be, I mean, cause a lot of what they do and spend time on, it doesn't take eight hours to write an article. Sometimes it, they have to research what they got to write on. That yeah. takes the time. Then writing the article is 38 minutes. So that's, that's, uh, that's, it's going to affect a lot of people's work, but as with anything, um, you've got to uplevel your skill and get to the level of strategy. If you're just using your hands to do the work, you're stuck at a level of earning and you're always going to be at a level of risk of technological, uh, advancement. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And if you guys aren't familiar with chat GPT, jump on there. Um, what is it? Open, open AI, open AI, uh, open com. Mm-hmm. and, um, GPT chat, chat GPT, whatever it is, uh, jump on there and, um, it's free, you, you know, like Joel says, and, um, I had it write a story the other day. I wanted to show my wife how fast it really is. Oh, so my. I said, Hey, let's just, just think of anything. Uh, write me a short story about a boy and his dog um, as they enjoy the beach or, or while they're at the beach. And it's not, it doesn't take but a split second before that story starts popping out. I mean, it's start to finish all the details you can imagine in the story. Uh, it's, it's absolutely insane. And then you can say, okay, now write it from the perspective of, um, I don't know, Kevin Hart. Cause we were talking yep. about Kevin Hart earlier, write it from yep. the perspective of Kevin Hart. And now you have all of his little mannerisms in the story. It's unbelievable. It's outrageous. So check it out. This is this to me, by the way, I'm actually going to be doing, I don't think it's going to be in the next week or two, maybe after the show is out, but um, we're doing, I've got, I've got 28 prompts that I think any marketer, digital marketer should be using. These are prompts that are going to be just massive time savers. And again, because I'm a strategist as well as a tactician, I was able to go in and start playing with real world things we do in our agency. I've done all but two jobs in our agency since the start. So I'm not the person who just sits as the business owner level. I've executed for 12 years. Um, it's unbelievable. Um, again, you got to know what the, if the output's good or bad, and that's the key. If you don't know if the output's good, if you're telling a fictional story, that's fun. But you, um, if you don't know what the output is in terms of its quality, um, and so for me, I was able to really dive in over the winter, uh, over a Christmas break. And yeah. it's going to be interesting. The funny thing that, um, uh, you know, you mentioned about the story is you just play with it and have fun with it. You and I, I don't know. You remember the Jetsons when we oh, grew yeah. up Rosie, right? Oh yeah. So yep. yep. I posted this on Twitter and it was funny. Some guy came back at me and says, and you're pro- part of the problem. Uh, I said, <laughs> <laughs> you got to. Yeah, I love digital gangsters, right? Um, And I said something to the effect of, I said, I said, chat GPT is like Rosie from the Jetsons versus the NS5s that tried to kill Will Smith and iRobot. (laughs) So remember the NS5s when Will Smith was in that iRobot movie and and the program went rogue and I forget the big master computer took over. And so I I just posting something fun, right? Yeah, yeah. And this guy said, and he said, and you're, and that's why you're a part of the problem. And I'm like, <laughs> cause you posted about it. It's happening, dude, whether you like it or not. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, it doesn't matter what you think, dog, it's going to yeah. happen. It's yeah. here. Like the cars are not going to need you in a while to touch the steering wheel. There will be a time before you and I leave this place where it will be illegal to touch a steering wheel in a car. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to see that in 10 or 15 years. I'm not Absolutely. saying you won't need to touch it. It will be illegal to touch it yeah. because the yeah. car gets the job better than you do. Yes. That day is here. It's going to be here knocking on the door. So you can fight change, which again, ch- people hate change, right? It's the, it's the, it's the, 
it's the biggest calamity of, of growth is, yeah. is resisting change. Absolutely. Um, you we talked like about that it. earlier before we even started. Of that. course. Yeah. So to me, it's like, look, change isn't always fun, but, but you can either resist or you can go with the flow. I live with go with the flow. Yeah. I go with the flow. I don't Master have to like flow. it. Google changes their algorithm. Some people, who knows what the right number is, but 500 plus times a year. Mm-hmm. And my customers count on us to know how to navigate what they're looking for to keep their website on the first page of Google. Yeah. I got to tell you, it's one of the hardest things we've ever done. Facebook changes all the time. Instagram changes all the time. All these platforms change. We don't own any of them. So if you think about it, we're tasked to get revenue and growth on platforms we don't own or control. Yeah. I live in a state of change. Yeah. Like I'm damn near insane. Our team <laughs> has to live in a constant state of wake up one day and uh-oh, they updated the algorithm. Uh-oh, whatever. Yeah. But the bottom line is uh, I am unique and I don't, I know I am because I don't have a problem <laughs> with change and adaptation, but those that actually make the, the biggest impact in the world they don't live at steady. They don't live at steady state. You know, Absolutely. I love hit training. I get more work. I get, I get more done in short, shorter time period doing hit training mm-hmm. than I do on the treadmill. Doesn't make the treadmill bad. Yeah. But you, you get it right. We're fitness Absolutely. guys. So, Absolutely. Uh, anyway. Yeah. You need to embrace that change. Um, and, and I, I see that too. A lot of people fighting it, fight it all day. Um, I'll need employees in 20 years. So, uh, you need to embrace that change. Right. Because just think about all the people in history that embrace change. I mean, right. Rockefellers, right. Uh, Rothschilds, the big names you've all heard of. Right. I want my family down the road to be like 10 steps ahead of everybody else because the fact that I embrace the change versus sit around and complain and did the same old thing all the time. Right. Yeah. Figure out how you can manipulate it. How can it work for you? Like, right. I'm going to. 45 years old, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be the smartest guy when it comes to tech, but I am going to try to use it. I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to mess with it. I'm going to find people like you that know what they're talking about. Right. Yeah. Um, Versus, ah, we're just going to go back and, you know, send out, uh, I don't know, go door to door and, you know, um, do things all the old school way. Right. Yeah. I'd love for your audience to, if they're, if they're intrigued by what you just said, it's go Google after we're done with this, the diffusion of innovation. The diffusion of innovation curve. It's a um, it's a technology, and I learned it in economics when I was in college. It's a simple bell curve, and I believe the numbers fall out like this. The bell curve has to do with the adoption of new technologies, the speed at which we adopt new technologies. Mm. And so I believe, uh, paraphrase, I'm paraphrasing numbers, even though I, I usually recite this pretty closely. Um, the first part of the curve is a little bitty part of the curve, and I believe it's around 2% of people are what's called innovators. They innovate the new technologies. Then the next group is the group, and I'm not going to give the percentages because I don't want to be off with the math, but the cur- you can find this chart everywhere online. The next part of the bell curve are what's called early adopters. The next part are what's called early majority, and I believe that number is 34% of the population is an early majority. The, the last bell curve turns over and there's another 34%, 33 or 34%, that's late majority. And then I believe the last number is 9% or so are laggards. Why do I bring this up? Because it's generally the people that jump on things early, even at the risk of failure. Mm-hmm. 
who seem to get ahead the fastest, right? What do I mean by this? Well, we're all on this curve in different things. I don't dress fancy and run around buying $2,000 suits on the back of my success. That's not how I roll. Yeah. I don't wear Rolex watches and Breitlings and all these. I wear, a, well, it was a Fitbit until they got me an <laughs> Apple watch last year. I don't, that's not my jam. So I'm a laggard when it comes to style and fashion. I wear mm -hmm. sweatsuits and Adidas Ultra Boost DNAs because I have flat feet and they're the best shoes for my feet. I, that's just my thing. So I'm a laggard in the world of fashion. Yeah. But in this world of tech, I want to know about it. I want to be a part of it. Um, and I think that all of us today, you know, did I run out and buy an electric car that drives itself? No. So I'm not an early adopter per se, but some would argue that you're still an early adopter if you're driving a Tesla right now, yeah. right? In 2023. I don't know where the curve goes for some of these things, but the reality is it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. and just decide where you want to play. Yeah. And again, even if you're not the direct user of it, get around the people that know what's happening so we can stay in front of it. Because at the end of the day, um, there are real risks to the economy as far as jobs and job growth. And if you're not in this world, this world's going to to find you on the sideline. Absolutely. And I'd rather I'd rather be in the game than on the sideline wondering, Oh, I had a chance and now there's no room for me to find my way in. And I don't ever think there's any room not to, to get in, but yeah, you can sit around and complain or, or you can adopt it. Um, it's your choice. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think we could have a whole podcast just on that, just on, on uh, adopting new innovation um, and, and the people, or I guess the people that do versus the people that don't. Um, right. You, you know, I, I, I deal with a lot of County websites because I talk oh. to county offices all the time, right? Yeah. I still see to this day stagnant one-page websites with nothing to click on, with just mm. a phone number at the bottom, maybe the, mm. the the county clerk's name, maybe some names, stuff like that, maybe a phone number. Nothing is clickable. There are no email addresses. Uh, you have to actually just call them. It's a stagnant one-page website. And I, I yeah. just can't believe that still exists. I mean, even today yeah. that an entire County would have their website, just a stagnant page. It's, it's, it's almost unbelievable, but yeah. there's people like that. Like I said, though, we all need employees. <laughs> right. <laughs> so anyway, all right. Anything we're missing. This has been a great conversation by the, by the way, Darryl, yeah, PJ, so it's, it's been, it's been fun, man. I appreciate the questions and, and the, the, the depth, which we were able to take this conversation. Yeah. We had no idea how this was going to go. Um, nope. we knew it was going to be energetic, but I appreciate you having me on the show. And I don't think I left anything. Uh, if, if there's anything you want me to share, I'm happy to, but, um, I appreciate being here. Thank you for hosting and, and holding space for a, for a vibrant conversation. Yeah, that's, this has been awesome. All right, Daryl, then then we're at the end and here's the biggest question. Now, this is the question where I don't know, I don't know how, where you rate in the, like uh, in Mensa, like uh, if you were really high up in college or, or anything like that, but um, this is a big question. It's going to require you to think a lot. Okay, so we are land life. I buy and sell dirt and trees all over the country. If you, Daryl, could buy land anywhere in the world where would it be and why in the world oh I in the world US. man we're going everywhere okay okay so unfortunately or fortunately i have no justification for why i'm going to give you this answer other than the pictures okay 
And we are saying land, this isn't really land. It's more like a hill country. Mm. I, I presume from the video and presume from the photos, but I would own land and houses and whatever else I could put up on the hill of Santorini, Greece. Okay. I have, and I, I don't know if the, when I get there, it better look like the pictures. I know that <laughs> because I have been, that is the place that in my mind, and it's interesting because my son um, got married a couple of years ago. They were supposed to honeymoon in Greece and I was going to live vicariously through his eyes. Yeah. And uh, that little thing, he happened with the virus. And so they had to, they had to shelve their honeymoon for a year, That's a nice. year and a half, whatever. And they ended up having to go to uh, Hawaii because at the time we were, they were allowed to travel. They couldn't go to Greece because Greece still had restrictions. Mm -hmm. But um, PJ, that's the place that it's a, it's a place that a destination I want to go. And I can't tell you if, if all the Instagram pictures are right and all the Instagram videos are right. It just looks absolutely stunning. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And I don't know, like I know some European countries and I don't know this about Greece at all, but some of them will pay you to live there and build a home. So there's, there's places in Spain, Italy that I know of um, where you can, I mean, you or you can pay pay a small fee, like uh, pay mm -hmm. 10 grand and you own like a town in Italy, wow. Spain. I don't know about Greece, but it's financially they're struggling too. So maybe it's the same thing um, where you can, yeah, you, you build, the, the idea is that you have to commit to building a home and, or, or, or building something in the, in the town. Right. Okay. But it's either free or they'll pay you to do it. Wow. So maybe. Fingers yeah. Crossed. Yeah. I've never thought Come about on, it. Santorini, um, let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. Yeah, if you're listening, it's, it's, mayor of Santorini, I don't know. Is it a city or. Yeah. I I'm, I'm not that sophisticated. I mean, I live in a desert. So when I leave <laughs> and I travel, I want to be around water. I yeah. love landscapes. Um, I'm just fascinated by anything that's not a desert. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> right on Daryl. I appreciate it, man. PJ, my man, you are absolutely uh, a pleasure to be around, man. Energy is is fantastic, man. I love people like you with, with great energy. We Likewise, just man. met for the Likewise. first time, but man, all the best to you. Uh, awesome. Thank you so much, guys. Till next time, I'll see you on Landline. <laughs>